All right. Hi guys, this is Daniel Sanchez and we're back with the Keeping It Real Estate in Los Angeles podcast, episode three for Thursday, May 28th, 2020. And today I wanted to talk to you guys about a deal that I actually participated in a couple of years ago. I want to go ahead and draw some comparisons and actually break down the scope of the entire deal for you guys so that you can understand exactly how I looked at the deal summarized it and analyzed the deal to see if it made sense for not only myself, but for my business partners. So let's go ahead and get into the background of this deal. This is a deal that was put together a couple of years ago and it was actually off market and we were able to speak to the ownership through a broker. That broker initially gave us some feedback and some background on the property owner and the actual condition of the building, which definitely helped us out a lot as we analyzed the property and we understood exactly what we were looking to buy. At that point in time, we were looking at deals all throughout Los Angeles, which we still do, but especially in areas that might be on the cusp of a maybe like a change or a path of progress area, something that we would consider If it's on the cost, that means that more than likely with a few more years of investment, it probably levels up to a different type of marketplace, whether it be going from like secondary or tertiary to maybe a primary area or on and on. That's kind of an important detail to keep in mind in this business because those are the details that as we're looking at a a deal and we say to ourselves, what are we expecting in the next three to six months, that's your short-term view. Then you have your medium-term view, which is, okay, within this next 12 months to 18 months, we wanna try to get as close to stabilizing this asset as possible. And then what's the three to five-year outlook look like? Are you holding this property? Are you gonna refi the new equity that you've created and move on to another deal? Is this a property that you're looking at refinancing and putting into a portfolio and adding to it with other properties that you might be accumulating or Is this something that might just be a quick turnaround deal for you? So that's how we looked at this deal and said, hey, we're going to probably wind up keeping this deal for a good three to three to five years because we knew that the potential for the new value add that we could add, the component of value add to this deal was such a considerable proposition in, in our favor that we decided we wanted to move forward with this deal. We looked at everything top to bottom. We understood that in an area where rents sort of had a ceiling at that point in time, we knew that we were going to be up against certain conditions of the marketplace. But we also looked at what the possibilities were considering that the total number of units and the unit mix and the layout of the property itself, the all of the actual amenities that we were looking at, the potential for value to be created based on either lowering the expenses, which is one of your main components to a deal, as long as, as well as looking at what additions to the property could be made to actually increase the revenue stream even more. So without really getting too far into the details about where the property is located, I'll tell you guys that it was a 14 unit deal in Los Angeles that was purchased two years ago. And the unit mix was a mixture of one bed of two bedrooms, excuse me, and three bedrooms. So just understand that the majority of the units were two bedrooms, but we had a handful of three bedrooms that were actually pretty neat because the buildings, there's two buildings on the site and there's parking below. So you have on-site parking, which is always a plus. 
you have two structures, one of which was the larger structure, which encompassed all of the two bedrooms. Then you had a smaller building, which actually housed all th- all of the three bedroom units. And that sort of added this courtyard effect in between, which on a large size lot as this one was, this one was almost 15,000 square feet. There was a lot of area of common area where we knew that the potential for making this a nice place overall with renovations and, and doing some additions and cleanup in the outside as well as the interior. We knew we had some potential here to really make this place nice. So we moved ahead with the deal. We bought this deal mainly because the metrics at the time made a lot of sense. Um, we had more of a sophisticated approach because myself and a couple of my partners, we really understood the, the areas that are surrounding the urban core, as they call it here in Los Angeles, and, and usually in major metropolitan cities, you find what's called the urban core. That's the area where you find a lot of business and a lot of, of, of momentum, a movement, especially in a marketplace like this. So you'll find a lot of density. And this was actually within a couple of miles of the core. We knew that not only was it close to downtown, but we also understood that in major areas like Hollywood and in downtown, people working in all throughout downtown, being close to the arts district, being close to the financial district. And then along with other things like having transit, you have public transit, which with the metro line, we have subways, things like that all started to make it even more attractive as a deal. So that being said, We moved ahead and we looked at the deal. We bought the deal because we knew we could get very favorable financing. The debt itself was actually a favorable type of a deal for us, which made even more sense to go after this thing. So along with putting our capital down to acquire the property, we actually put some debt on the property, which we were able to convert to a long-term debt. And obviously right now I can tell you when we had it appraised recently, we actually beat our expectations by more than 20%. So that was a very, very good deal, but let's get to the point on the deal itself. So like I said, it's a 14 unit building and the actual property was built back in the seventies. So it is a rent stabilized property, meaning that it is under LA's RSO, which is an ordinance that puts limits to the values of properties based on what year was built, et cetera, et cetera. There's more details. We're going to have, we're going to have episodes dedicated strictly to that when we talk about LA rents, but for now rent stabilized, it was built back in the seventies. It actually was, the bones were very good on this building. This is for 1970 something building. It's actually, it was in, in the worst shape at all interior wise you obviously had deterioration interior on the walls you had other things going on where some maintenance was deferred and then we started to look at things a little more critically and understand like okay well the, these are the things that are the first things that we're going to address but we lucked out in the fact that every unit had parking we had on-site laundry so there was extra income coming in from that and also the location of the property itself was pretty central to a couple of major points of interest in the area, including a university and also a medical center. So a lot going for it. We bought the building, every unit was occupied. And the first order of business was obviously to close, which we did within 60 days of going under contract. We had our physical inspection. We made sure we saw everything we needed to see. We understood the deal was going to have certain restrictions to it based on how we can approach tenants and whatnot. So what we did was we closed escrow. And within the first 30 days of escrow finally closing, 
and transitioning into the new ownership, we were able to speak with tenants, introduce ourselves, let them know that this property was newly acquired by such and such group, and that we'd be speaking to them in the future, kind of getting to know the lay of the land and making sure that we got to meet everybody so that everybody could put a face to the name. And, and for the most part, that worked out really well. You know, tenants get approached a certain way and you show a lot of attention to even the smallest details and complaints. When you're a tenant, you feel that your landlord does appreciate you, makes you want to actually be a tenant with that landlord for a long time because there are options. Obviously, if a well-run building tends to have a high retention of tenants, then that means that obviously their business model works because in LA things are very expensive and and it's not just, it doesn't come down to just what rents are. It actually, you know, you got to look at things as a whole because we've got to look at what operating expenses look like your annual expenses based on taxes, insurance, having maintenance, utilities, a management company, obviously little stuff, you know, your gardening, trash, anything, pest, pest control. These are, these are things that people have to keep in mind. You also have to have a certain amount of reserves put away for obvious expenses and, and miscellaneous items that come up. You'll have an onsite manager. If you've got 16 or more units in LA, you'll have an offsite manager. If obviously you just look at it as, Hey, we can either have a company third party manager deal for us, which we typically like to do if there are more than five or six units because it just makes sense time-wise. And once you understand what those annualized expenses look like, then you can put those expenses against what the actual scheduled gross income is. And once you have that calculation done and you see what you're operating at, it's a percentage that you can look at it at. So whatever the percentage turns out to be, then you start to work it backwards and you start to figure out if you have any pre-tax cash flow versus what your total returns are after the fact. Depending on if you're putting down a bunch of money, you're going to look at what your cash on cash looks like as far as a return on an annual basis. So all of these variables matter when you're an investor. These are the things that I want to try to cover in plenty of episodes moving forward while having guests, having guests that have the background of actually doing the financing structures all the way down to investors who own thousands of units in Los Angeles and also interview and sit down and, and have conversations with people who have questions about a deal where we can analyze things in real time. And you guys can listen to that and say, Hey, look, that sounds pretty interesting that they actually were able to take three potential deals that are listed, or maybe the, the metrics were broken down in a, in what's called a, a setup. And we can analyze the setup and say, Hey, look, this is what we've got. This is why we're looking at the deal through these eyes or vice versa. We want to have somebody maybe analyze the deal for us and say, Hey, well, what do you think of this deal? Does this make sense based on what our criteria is on and on, but back to this deal, we had spoken to some tenants. We had a couple of tenants move out within the first two months and that left us with 12 more tenants to go. And a lot of these tenants were long-term. They had been there for a very long time. They obviously got in when rents were a lot cheaper so a lot of them never even really thought about what it would be like to go and rent again in a new place, let alone decide if, you know, if there's going to be a change that they can afford, whether it be to buy something or whether it be to just maybe move in with a partner or, or a roommate or decide, hey, we're, we're going to leave Los Angeles. But as we got into the nitty gritty of it, when I started to meet some of the tenants and I had direct one on one conversations with them. I learned a lot about tenants who were just never really given the opportunity to think about those things because 
when life is simple and you have certain things that that aren't a priority, like trying to figure out if another place is better suited for you, you just tend to go about your business, tend to go about your lifestyle. And, you know, obviously these are the things that we look at as far as being a landlord. What would a tenant feel like if obviously something happened to the property? What would they do? Would they be able to go anywhere? Is there something, some resources for them? And obviously the city does have things for people in place to protect them as a tenant in the city, which we'll discuss when we do an episode on rent stabilization here in Los Angeles. But for the most part, most tenants were amicable to a consideration of some, some, some fund that could put potentially a deal for somebody to move. And that being said, it was an offer made to a tenant on one side of the building, then it went to another offer for another tenant, and then another tenant approached us thinking that maybe that money would serve them as a down payment for a purchase on a home, which we were really excited about because we were able to help them facilitate that. And there were families that were just unfortunately looking to leave because they had lived in LA for so long and they wanted to retire in other places. So by the end of the, by the end of the process of figuring out how many tenants we were going to be left with before we began the project itself of renovations and, and doing what we needed to do for all the capital expenses that we were going to have to deal with in terms of upgrading plumbing, electrical, all the major systems of a building, we looked at 11 units that were going to be delivered, at least go vacant by the time we were ready to start our construction. So by that point, we had already emptied out 11 units and we were able to successfully help tenants transition to either a home or another apartment or actually find a place outside of LA. And everybody seemed to have left at least feeling like they got what they deserved in terms of you know, an amount of money an amount of time and just the, the attention to detail in helping them. They felt that they were actually treated very well, which goes a long way. And I can't stress this enough. If you're going to buy property and you're going to inherit tenants or start to lease to a tenant, don't let that be the last thing that, that the tenant feels like they have left with you where it's not good. Make that the priority with every single tenant you have. Find a way to make a tenant that maybe doesn't have the best disposition with you, find a way to turn them, make them feel like everything and anything that they care about, you're going to put some attention to because everybody wants to be treated like they have the same seat at a table that everybody else does. And that, that goes a long way with not only tenant retention, but if, for example, you leave and maybe they can recommend somebody uh, that might want to live in the area or, you know, even in today's world where people leave reviews for apartment buildings or, or you never know, these, these things become very, very apparent when a well-run building has a vacancy. The demand can be sky high because maybe people have heard so many good things about that building in that neighborhood or that management company, that landlord. It goes a long way. And you want to be able to have an open line of communication with your tenants at all times in case something happens, if there's an emergency or if there's something that you need to be able to convey to a tenant, then not only do you need to find a way to always be responsible, but you also need to find a way to have them have the ability to get a hold of you, right? And, and without taking advantage of either side. So that, that's obviously something that I would stress and, and will continue to stress throughout these episodes. But Back to the deal, 
we had finally, again, 11 units going vacant. We had said, okay, here's what we're going to start with. And obviously you take the vacant units, you basically got them, take everything out. We realized that the configuration in a couple of the units weren't really optimal. So we opened up a couple of walls. We made sure that the pass-through space in the common area for a couple of the larger units was cleared out so that you wouldn't feel like you were in such a small kitchen. For example, you actually felt like, hey, these are huge kitchens that now take up a lot more room. And now there's more of a view. They're more expansive. That, that flow, as people like to say, when they walk into a place, we were able to enhance that because we knew that a couple of these faux walls that existed, these pony walls needed to come down. It was just, they were, they were dated for their time. Everything, maybe it worked then, but at least in our vision, we saw that we needed to move some stuff around, which we did. So fast forward three or four months, we had already upgraded plumbing, which I'll tell you guys a, an industry secret, get that out of the way first. If you're going to undertake a big project where you need to actually spend money on doing systems upgrades, get that repiping done first. It is the most expensive. It is the most intrusive thing that you have to do in an entire property. And it's, it could be the most expensive thing if you have to do it twice or three times or, or in stages or phases, because it doesn't, it's not something that you can just keep opening walls and, and patching walls and redoing that. There's so much cost, inherent cost in doing something of that scale that I would never encourage anybody to, who buys a building to say to themselves, Hey, I think we can slow play the, the mechanical stuff. We can slow play the plumbing. We can, we can do things in a different order. My number one suggestion will always be get the plumbing, any kind of repiping, get that out of the way first. So we got our trades through, meaning we were able to get our electrical upgraded. We were getting the plumbing upgraded. We looked at our roofing, made sure everything was tidy up there. Redid walls. We redid um, anything and everything that we could. And we also added central air in each unit, central heating. We added in-unit washer and dryers. And even though there is on-site laundry, the value of having laundry in the unit is, is exponentially much better than having an on-site facility. In our opinion, at least on that deal, that made the most sense. So the capital expense plus your, your expenses on the renovations will really dictate how much you can really drive up that potential rent if the ceiling in a marketplace has only been proven for units that are in maybe equal to or slightly better condition than how you bought them. But in our case, we went all the way, did such a great job of renovating these units and making them feel very modern, spacious, and very appealing. So the draw to those units being in the area that they were in was really just how well done they were. And when we renovated, they were, they came out stellar. They were all of a sudden, this area that had a lot of character and had a lot of, let's just say, originality to it, people were noticing like, wow, this this building looks completely different. Like it just fell out of the sky and landed right on that lot. So needless to say, we were really thrilled about the potential. And then we took it to market. And when we took it to market, we had expectations that were based on recently renovated and rented up units, which we had obviously studied. We, we look at all the data, we aggregate data into our own systems to understand what the trends look like, and then we can underwrite it based on that. So we saw what the rents were trending in that area for. But when we started to actually show the units, we were pretty surprised with the feedback because we had demand all of a sudden on the first two units that came up for rent. And that showed us that 
all of a sudden, it's almost like having a bidding war. We had multiple tenants chasing the same unit, and we were actually able to rent those first two units for a lot more than what our pro forma rents were. So that right there pretty much set the tone for what we were going to do with the rest of the units as they became available for rent. So needless to say, the fact that we did such a good job on our renovations, even though we spent probably 20% more than we were averaging in other remodels for something similar and for the area, we actually renovated to a, to a much higher return if you want to look at it that way. And that was one of the things that made this deal work out in such a great way. Even though we still have three lower paying tenants, we, we feel that those tenants are going to most likely just transition out on their own. So through attrition or, or just decide, hey, like we, we, we're out of here, we were going to buy something or move. And, and one of the tenants has already sort of indicated that that's, that's down the road pretty soon because of, of family reasons. But um, needless to say, we bought that deal at, at such a scary cap rate, to say the least. You know, most banks wouldn't touch it. But the fact that we, you know, we knew what we were getting into and we had a, a good chunk of capital to put down and the source of the equity and the, and the financing and our capital structure was favorable to us, we knew that we were going to have to go pretty big on this deal. And we, our, our current cap rate is, is actually unimaginably high for the area. And it is, we did set a record for the rents on twos and three bedrooms in this neighborhood, which was basically just proving that, you know, instinct got told us that we would, we would have to do this right. The first time we couldn't screw around and cut corners or do anything that would have put us in a bad position to have to maybe do the project twice or to, or to upscale a remodel that we should have done right the first time. And so just knowing that kind of stuff and that information, guys, if, it, if it's going to be something that you guys are really going to give this some thought to, to do, or really take on the risk, or, or just inherently speaking, when you're trying to buy something because you want some, some return on your investment, just do it the right way the first time. Huge, huge, huge advice to just at, you know, adhere to that advice if you can. If you've got partners that are more risk adverse, or if you've got partners that maybe don't want to share your vision because they've never tested themselves in that marketplace or, or don't understand something that maybe even somebody who's consulting you or a broker or somebody who's done it a few times thinks that there's potential there, but your partners are, are, are afraid to do it, you... I, I would highly suggest you get them in a room with the professional that you're trusting, or maybe even just really having multiple meetings about it and saying, Hey, is this the right deal for all of us? Or am I the only one who sees something here? And if you're able to back that up with facts and data and, and whatever you feel that is giving you that, that feeling that this is something you need to do, then, you know, it's always something to think about, right? Like let's not, let's not force a partnership or let's not force people to take risks. If in the end, they're going to blame you because you were the one that was ready to go the whole time, but they were reluctant and they just sort of caved. That's, that's not the kind of partnership you want. So I would never, I would never uh, advocate for that, but it's also separating people who really, really do take more risk on than others. And, and that's part of trusting the process so I hope you guys maybe learned a little bit from this particular deal. Um, I'm happy to share a little bit more on specific metrics if it'll help you understand the deal. But just know that for the purchase price, we almost doubled the value. 
And that's only provided that 11 out of 14 units transitioned. We had three units that are 30%, 40% below market value. One is more than half below market value. And we put in a pretty sizable investment on the upgrades. So these are, these are deals that obviously don't come often, but when they do, they're really great to talk about because it might be a semi outlier, but it also does help to understand why there was a bigger return than initially was underwritten because underwriting guidelines and standards are very specific to different marketplaces. So they can be very localized, or maybe we just understand that in certain markets, they haven't peaked yet. So we want to become ambitious or we want to be just straight up conservative, which is fine in real estate being conservative is always going to be the best way to play the long game. But in certain, in certain aspects or certain instances, we have to understand that deals like these, if we have a, if we have like a gut feeling that's telling us that we really need to maybe think about what we can do here, if we maybe push the boundaries a little bit more, that might be one every 10 times you, you invest into something. So needless to say, this worked out very well. We've had deals that have not worked out as great, but we tend to be very, very critical of the deals that we underwrite and we like to take our time and maybe making an assessment and really spending the time to study the deal long enough to feel comfortable about moving forward. And we know how we can structure out our deals as well because we we tend to use different um, avenues of how we're going to approach an investment deal either to create value short-term or long-term. So we, we look at, we look at everything that we do in our model. Plus we look at things that we probably have in our quiver of, of ways to approach a deal, which could give us a, a more satisfactory return in case our, our first two or three options don't look very good. So that's where I'm going to leave it for episode three of the podcast. So I hope to catch you guys on the next one, which will be most likely tomorrow. And I'm trying to stick to posting up or at least uploading three to four podcasts per week. I might end up doing one every day, except for the weekends. All depends on the content and we're going to start bringing in some guests. We're going to have some real conversations, which will allow for a forum of discussion to take place. And I also want to have different professionals and different segments of the business come in and speak so you guys can hear from them as well. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I will catch you guys on the next one. Thanks, guys.